Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. Twenty-six years ago, right about this time, we were expecting the birth of our very first child. And, of course, part of uh, becoming a new parent is, you, you know, you've got to decide what's going to be the names. And so we, you know, we had this long list of names, and we were kind of whittling them down. And uh, we actually, I was a youth pastor at the time, and we had kids in our youth group who had names that we were considering. So we actually interviewed some of the kids in our youth group. You know, do you like your name? You know, because I was named Ken, and I never liked the name Ken. You know, I just, it never, I just never made it for me. Um, so we decided, you know, we were going to interview. And so we, we interviewed, you know, do you like your name? Yeah, yeah, I like my name. Okay, so that, was in the, you know, that went in the hopper. So we narrowed it down. If it was going to be a girl, it was either going to be Sarah or Aaron. And, of course, it was a girl, and so her name is Aaron Noel Jensen. Doesn't that just roll off the tongue? Christmas time, Noel. It's a beautiful name. And, of course, I was, uh, I was fresh out of college, you know, and I was a young Bible scholar, and I was intrigued by this character in the book of Acts who was so generous and so giving, and his name was Barnabas. And my son is so grateful that he was the second born, I can tell you. Because <laughs> I had plenty of time to change my mind about that. And it wasn't going to be his first name. It was just going to be a middle name, you know. But even then, I'm sure he's grateful that he was not the first born. Um, you know, we, we, we put a lot into this thought about naming our kids. And usually we pick names that kind of have a, a nice ring to them and kind of, you know, flow nicely and roll off the tongue. We had some friends who, um, expecting their first child, and they really liked the name Brie, but, but they wanted to kind of, you know, make it a little bit special, not just Brie like every other Brie. So they, so they, so they asked us one day, they said, what do you think of, like, Dubrie? You know, Dubrie. Think about that. Dubrie. Dubrie. Not a good idea, you know. They, they changed their name. We, we pick names for how they're going to sound. I'm not maybe giving a whole lot of thought to their meaning, but you look through Scripture... And throughout the Bible, names have great significance. Um, so much so that very often God would change a name. When somebody was changed as a person, they would actually change their name. And, and so Abram became Abraham, father of many nations. And, and Jacob, whose name meant conniver and heel grasper, his name is changed to Israel, one who contends with God. And Jesus called the a young fisherman and named Simon. And he says, you are a rock. I'm changing your name to Peter, which means rock. And a Pharisee named Saul, his name is changed to Paul. And on and on it goes. And in fact, actually in the book of Revelation, it talks about to him who perseveres, he will give, be given a white stone with a new name on it. A new name known only to that person. Having fully become what God intended you to become. A new name. There's a great significance to names throughout Scripture. And centuries before Jesus was born, the prophet Isaiah spoke these words. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in a land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest. As soldiers rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them. The bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. They will be fuel for the fire. For unto us a 
child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and his peace, there will be no end. Four kingly names, four messianic names given for this, this baby that was, was to be born, born centuries later. And they are descriptive names. They are descriptive of the kingdom of God and what this great king will look like. And this morning and for the next couple of weeks, I kind of want to unpack each of these names a little bit and take a look at what does it mean for God to be our wonderful counselor? What does it mean for him as our mighty God? our everlasting Father, our Prince of Peace. What does that mean to me today? Because these names were not given just, just because they sounded good, although they do. They were given because there was meaning behind them. This morning I want to take a look at what does it mean for Jesus to be our wonderful counselor? What does that mean to you and me some 2,000 years later? Well, there's a couple of things about counselors. First is our wonderful counselor He's the one who gives us guidance for the life's journey. He gives us direction. There's an interesting phenomenon that's come up probably in the last 10, 15 years or so. Um, Life coaching. You heard about this? You know, you can actually hire someone to be your life coach. You know, it used to be, you know, you apprenticed to somebody and you worked at the job and learned how to do a job by that. And then then, uh, there was a big um, movement for mentors. You know, finding someone to mentor you in your job or in your career or whatever it might be. And now they actually have life coaches. Uh, you can pay somebody and, and they will coach you through life. In fact, I went online this week and uh, your, um, yourlifecoach.com. And, and listen to the, this is the advertisement. Do you feel overwhelmed? Are you stuck in life's rut? Are you neglecting yourself or your family, your work? Do you feel stress of too many conflicting forces? Do you just react to life versus creating the life that you want, it's time you had someone focus entirely on you. You will be the center of attention of your life coach because life coaching is all about you. You know, it is amazing to me with all of our sophistication and all of our knowledge and all of our our, our vast wealth of resources, we're still not satisfied. Someone at the top of their game in the marketplace still needs someone to coach them through life. Prophet Isaiah described it this way. People walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of deep darkness, the light has dawned. Not much has changed in 2,000 years. There is still an emptiness and still something missing from life. We are people walking in darkness. This world is not at all like God intended it at creation. And we do not live our lives in the way that God intended us to fully live life when He designed us. Because we, we don't see things from God's perspective. First John, or John chapter 1 says, In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. We are like people wandering in darkness. We're not really sure how to live this life. The good news is, the light has dawned. That Christ has come to us to show us life as it was meant to be. To redefine what is actually possible for humanity living on this earth. 
Because it's not just about by and by, pie in the sky, when I die, heaven. It's about daily living. That kind of a guidance. And the kind of guidance that Christ gives is going to be quite different than the way that you would do life otherwise. Dallas Willard writes it this way. He says, Nothing less than the life in the steps of Christ is adequate to the human soul or to the needs of our world. Any other offer fails to do justice to the drama of human redemption, deprives the hearer of life's greatest opportunity, and abandons this present life to the powers of the age. The correct perspective is to see following Christ not only as the necessity that it is, but as the fulfillment of the highest of human possibilities and as life in its highest plane. Christ came to show us that life. He came as this wonderful counselor. And and the word wonderful, the translation is so hard to really convey what's going on there. Because it's not like wonderful, it's like, oh, isn't that wonderful? A, A better description would be counselor of a wondrous order. Counselor of an insight and an understanding about life that no one else could possibly imagine. Wondrous, unimaginable, beyond human comprehension. That's the kind of counsel that he gives. And it's been interesting because in the last month or so, I've had a number of people in counseling situations who are faced with like some major life decisions and are trying to decide, what should I do? What would be the right thing to do? You know, I don't know if I should go to this school or that school, if I should go back to school, if I should change jobs, if I should close down my business. You know, major kind of life decisions. We need a guide and all that. But the thing that you will find in the guidance that Christ gives is it's not so much about those kinds of decisions, although those decisions flow out of something bigger. The kind of guidance that He gives has to do with character and the choices that we make out of our character. I've been watching uh, on Discovery Channel. They've had this special called Everest Beyond the Limit. Anybody been watching this at all? It's fascinating stuff to me. It's so cool to watch people conquering Everest from the comfort of my living room. You know, it's just a vicarious thrill, but I don't have to get cold, you know. And uh, the guy that's heading this up, his name is Russell Bryce. And they filmed it. I guess it was back in May, actually. Um, but he's, about 12 people are on this expedition. And he is helping them. He's, he's done Everest a number of times. And he's helping these people. And one of the things that was fascinating this last week that I found out is they spend about 71 days on the mountain. 71 days. Out of those 71 days, only 10 are actually spent climbing. And the way that they have to do it is they have this advanced base camp, which is partway up the mountain. And, and once they all get up there, then from advanced base camp, what they do is they take a trip up to the first uh, camp one on the North Pole. And they go up there, and it's about a day's hike, and then they live up there for a couple of days, and then they come back down. And then they stay down in advanced base camp a couple of days, and then they go back up to camp one. And they stay there for a couple of days, and they, and they do this like three or four times. And the reason they do this is their bodies are adjusting to live at such an altitude. Because our human body is not meant to live at that altitude. They are living in a different realm. And part of what has to be done is they have to be acclimatized to this new realm. And what happens is when they go and they live up at the North Camp, up the first Camp One for a while, what happens is their body actually begins to produce more red red blood cells. So that those red blood cells actually store more oxygen so they can make the climb. So you don't just go for a day and you'll hike up the mountain and come back down. It's a 71 day process and most of it is up and down and up and down and up and down until they make the final push. And 
that's a pretty good description of the kind of life that God designed for us. It is to be lived at a higher plane, in a different realm. It's not like life down here as we know it. And we need to be acclimatized to that new environment. And so following in this life of Christ is to learn to see life from a different perspective. And out of that, you make decisions about life for completely different reasons. You don't take a job because of the prestige or the corner office that comes with it or the money and the bonus that comes along with it. You make decisions about your job and about your life and about your career and about everything with regard to the kingdom of God. You begin to live a different way. You begin to think different thoughts. You begin to decide by different parameters. And that's what Christ does. When you follow Him, you get a guide for life's journey, and it's a journey that you would not experience any other way. It's thinking in completely different terms. The prophet Isaiah put it this way, I will lead the blind by the ways they do not know. Along unfamiliar paths, I will guide them. I will turn darkness into light before them and make rough places smooth. These are the things I will do, says the Lord. That's the guidance that he gives. And as our wonderful counselor, he gives us guidance and direction in realms that we would not think any other way. Second thing that a counselor does is provides comfort. And as a wonderful counselor, one of the things that Christ does is offers comfort to us for life's heartaches and life's heartbreak. Because that's the second aspect of a counselor. In fact, the New Testament word for counselor is comforter. One who comes alongside. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Matthew 1, 23, quoting Isaiah 7. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. See, not only did Christ come to show us life as God intended it to be, but he also came and took on life as it is. He experienced life in the same way that we would do. And that is not something that anybody would possibly expect. That God, Creator God, Lord Almighty, Alpha and Omega would come to this earth and do pain. (laughs) Not in some insulated way or not from afar or not in, in some observation, but actually experience it. The writer of Hebrews puts it this way. Since he himself has gone through suffering and temptation... He is able to help us. It's almost like he couldn't believe it. He himself has gone through suffering. He is able to help us. I remember as a kid, and I I pretty much grew up in church, going to Sunday school most of my life. And I remember the pictures that we used to get of Jesus. You know, these pictures that you would see of Jesus. And And I don't know if anybody remember this, but they always, Jesus always looked just a little bit detached. Do you ever notice that? He just, he, you know, his features were a little smoother than everybody else's. He had this glow about him like nobody else did. It was almost like, you know, he was some, this ethereal being that kind of drifted through life. And even as a young kid, I thought, that's not right. <laughs> because the description that we're given in the Gospels of this life of Jesus is, here is a man who did life like we do. Read it sometime. Just go through and see all the emotions of Jesus that he expressed in his life on this earth. He weeps at the death of a good friend named Lazarus. Shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. Powerful message. He's troubled at the hurting around him. He has compassion on those who need healing. 
He's disturbed and bothered by his followers' lack of faith from time to time. And on one occasion, he sits outside the city of Jerusalem and looks at this vast city in front of him and breaks down. And he says, oh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem. If only, if only you knew, I would gather you like a hen gathers its chicks and its wings, but you would not. That's our God. That's our counselor. Jesus came and experienced life, and he knows your heartache. And for some of you, this has been a particularly difficult year. There are some of them in our church family who've gone through some incredibly difficult things. And some of you are right in the middle of it. Marriage difficulties. People going through divorce. Family relationships strained. And relationships with your kids. And you're at an impasse. People dealing with health issues. Job losses. Emotional struggles. And if any of that describes you this morning, you need to know. God does pain. He is a wonderful counselor. And if you're thinking in the middle of all of this, where is God? He is right there with you. Right in the middle of all of it. And I know when I've gone through some of the most difficult times in my own life, it wasn't so much that I wanted answers. I just wanted to know that somebody else understood. Jesus understands. And for some of you, particularly at the holiday season, the loneliness and the pain and the struggle is that much more amplified. We have a wonderful counselor who knows exactly what it's like. Psalm 34, 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. That's our God. That's our wonderful counselor. He brings comfort for life's heartache. And he brings restoration for life's failures. The greatest strength of a counselor is when he can help bring restoration. The greatest task of a counselor is when she can help someone get through a difficult time and come out the other side better because of it. And that's what our great counselor does. That's what our wonderful counselor does. The great message of the Bible is this world is not as it should be. That we live in a messy world. And you don't have to pick up the paper just one day to see how that is the case. Because every day you pick up the paper and you read about wars and famines and calamities and hatred and killing and health epidemics that are leaving thousands of kids orphaned and others who are born into whole families still live in poverty. This world is a mess. And every day you pick up the paper and you read in the last 24 hours, it's just gotten a little bit messier. And it's not just the world. We are all contributors in our own way to this mess. We are all a part of it. Last week I came home from Uganda and, and our trip from, uh, we flew from Uganda up to Amsterdam and then there was a 12-hour flight from Amsterdam directly to San Francisco. And we got on this bright, shiny, clean plane. And on every seat there was a blanket and a pillow and a headset. And everything was all nice and neat and clean. And our seats were kind of in the back of the plane. So we got to San Francisco after 12 hours, about two to 300 people in this little tin box, you know, flying through the air for 12 hours. We get to San Francisco, and I'm getting off the plane, because we were near the back, you know, we're, you know, a lot of people have got off before us. And I'm walking down the aisles of the plane, and I'm thinking, this place is a mess. I mean, blankets strewn all over the place, there's wrappers, there's broken headsets, there's 
pillows with footprints on them, you know. And you go through and you think, well, maybe when I get through first class, you know, that'll be a little bit cleaner. They're messier than we were in coach. And I just thought to myself, we people are such pigs. (laughs) We all make our own little contribution to the mess that is this world. But the good news is this. God's not afraid of your mess. God isn't thrown off by your mess or my mess. He came to messy people. In fact, you just think about the scenery of his birth. He is born in a barn, not the most sterile of places. You've ever been in a barn, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's a lot of stuff in a barn. (laughs) And his crib is not some fancy white painted with little beads from Nordstrom. It's a, it's a feeding trough, a dirty feeding trough. And the message is this. God does messy. God isn't afraid of messy. He came to a messy world, a world that he created good and beautiful and people that he created with such potential. And for thousands of years, we've just made a mess of things but it doesn't throw him off. That's the good news. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's the good news. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. To this messy, broken world, the Lord has come. To the mess that I make of my own life, the Lord has come. Joy to the world. Joy to this messy, messed up, heartbroken world. The Lord has come. And He has come not to judge and condemn, but to redeem and to restore and to rescue. That is the great news. That the King of the universe has invaded human history in the middle of its misery and mess and brought restoration. And we are now a part of that, bringing restoration to this world, bringing the kingdom of God to this world. He taught us to pray it. Lord, your kingdom come in my messy world. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. I say that because I hear very often people say things to me like, God can't do anything with my life. I've made such a mess of it. There's no hope for me. Or things like, you know, I I really would like to believe and I would really like to give my life to Christ, but I got some things I got to clean up first. And the message of Christmas is, no, you don't. You don't have to clean the house before company's coming. He came to clean the house. And that is the good news. This wonderful counselor gives guidance to our lives in ways that we could not possibly understand any other way. This wonderful counselor joins us in our heartache and in our sorrow and in our beat-down life, and he brings hope and comfort. And he takes the mess that we have made of things, and he restores and rescues. 
When we were utterly helpless, Romans 5 says, Christ came at just the right time. And he died for us sinners. That's good news. Would you bow your heads with me? You may be here this morning looking for direction in your life. Career change, job loss, schooling, facing some kind of a big decision. Or you might be here perplexed over a situation that just seems you can't get your brain around it. It's so huge. You have a wonderful counselor who is here to guide you through all of life's journey. You might be here this morning in emotional pain, physical pain, overwhelmed, heartbroken, hurting, struggling. You have a Lord who knows exactly what you feel like. And He's here to comfort, to bind up those wounds. You may be here this morning feeling like an absolute and utter failure. The mess that you have made of your life, you think it's beyond hope. (laughs) It's not. It's what God does. Maybe you made some great New Year's resolutions 12 months ago. Not one of them you followed through on and you're feeling like, why do I even bother? He came to rescue and restore. No one's beyond his hope. The message of Christmas is there is nothing that God will not do. There is nothing that will hold him back from reaching out to you. And all that he asks is in a simple step of faith to trust him, to trust his guidance, to let him heal your broken heart. Let him give you a fresh new start, no matter what mess you might have made of things. That's our wonderful counselor. That's our generous, gracious God. So as we close in prayer, make this good news yours today. The Lord has come for you. Trust his guidance. Let him heal your hurts. And let him forgive and restore the mess that you may have made of things. Join me in this prayer. Thank you, Lord, that you know me through and through. In the deepest recesses and the darkness of my heart, in the attitudes, in the struggles, in the things that I may not want anyone else to know, you know. And you still love me. And it is for that very reason that you came. So Lord, guide us in your ways. Comfort our broken heartaches. And restore and rescue our lives for your glory. And for your kingdom's sake. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.